Matthew 15 verses 1 through 20 shows us the Pharisees coming in opposition to Jesus. This account is also recorded in Mark 7 in verses 1 through 23. Mark 7, Matthew 15. The account in Mark, Matthew, uh, the account in Mark, a little bit more extensive. We will we'll make note of a couple of points from there as we go along. But let's get the text in front of us. In the setting, in verses 1 and 2, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? The answer Jesus gives in verse 3, He answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother, and by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? And he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Leave them alone or let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. These are things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. In verse 1, scribes and Pharisees come from Jerusalem. In Mark 3.22, some have come from Jerusalem before to investigate Jesus. I thought with this new Bible, they didn't have to turn it on. Okay. Some of the scribes and Pharisees 
come from Jerusalem. In Mark 3.22, a group from Jerusalem has come to investigate Jesus before in Mark's account. But this is the first time we see it specifically stated in Matthew. That the text tells us they came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Is that echoing too much? Is it? Is it it else? Okay. Um, I apologize for this. Look down at the text. I am going to decide. Josh is already volunteered. I apologize for that. I should have known better than to try that. David didn't even want to go to battle with Saul's armor unless he tried it. (laughs) So, I shouldn't do that with a microphone without trying it out. But, as the scribes and the Pharisees come, they said, why do your disciples not wash their hands before they eat bread? Now, this is different, young people, than your mother telling you, go wash your hands before you eat. There's more going on in this text than simply cleanliness or hygiene. There's more going on. What the principle was, was that Jews often involved in these kind of ritual washings. Mark 7 explains this in more detail. Mark 7 is the parallel to this. Mark 7 verses 3 and 4. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Now Mark is writing to a Gentile audience, and Mark explains this Jewish practice. Matthew is writing predominantly to a Jewish audience, and there is no need to explain this process. They are well familiar with it. But Mark explains it to his readers. Now, what does this tie in with? Where did they get these particular ideas? You notice they're not even claiming it's thus says the Lord, but they do base it somewhat on Scripture. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 17 through 21, God told the priests, that as they go into the tabernacle to minister, they are to wash their hands and their feet. A failure to do so was to experience death. That's twice stated in Exodus 30, verses 20 and 21, that a failure to observe this would mean death. 
And before the priests partook of the holy offerings the people brought, they also washed their hands in Leviticus 22, verses 1 through 9. Now, one of the things you will find in carefully examining the text, if you carefully look at those passages of Scripture, you will see that these are instructions to the priests. These are instructions to the priests. And what happened is the Jews applied these to all of the people. They applied these to, to all the people. And so they believed that before they ate or when they came in contact with certain peoples, that they must wash their hands in order to be ceremonially clean. This was not something that was given this was not something given in Scripture to all the people. But I will tell you, it was given to the priests. It was intended to be taken seriously. But it also always pointed to something deeper. In Psalm 24, Verses 3 and 4. The question is asked, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And the answer is given, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. When the priests, before they entered the tabernacle to offer sacrifices or offer incense, before they partook of sacrifices, as they washed their hands and washed their feet, it was a reminder that God desired a deeper, thoroughgoing purity of one who had clean hands and a pure heart. This was not a meaningless ritual, but it was deeply meaningful, expressing what God wanted in their innermost being. But they're not even claiming here that this is specifically what God has said. They are saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Why do they transgress this tradition? And Jesus' response isn't directly to that question. Jesus first responds to the idea that their traditions are binding. They would say, the Pharisees would have stated, and we see it recorded in some Jewish sources, that they believe the oral law came down from Moses just as much as the written law and that it was of equal, if not more important, significance than the written law. Jesus disagrees with them about this basic source of authority. They are saying, why do they not observe the tradition of the elders? Jesus said, why is it that you yourselves transgress the commandment of God? Now, look at the text. In verse 2... The word break is used in the New American Standard. Why did your disciples break the tradition of the elders? In verse 3, why do you yourselves transgress? The New American Standard has. But the word break 
and the word transgress are from the same Greek word. Some of your translations probably point that out. One of the things that's interesting is this word's only found, this verb's only found three times in the New Testament. Two of them are right here. And it's setting a contrast. It's setting a stark contrast. Why do your disciples break or transgress the traditions of the elders? Jesus' counter question. Why do you yourselves break or transgress the commandment of God? Jesus doesn't question their assertion at this particular point. Jesus simply states to them that they are violating something more fundamental. They are disregarding the word of God. I want you to continue to see this contrast. Continue to see this contrast in verse 4. For God said, honor your father or mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. That is a combination of Exodus 20 and verse 12, the fifth commandment, and the penalty for that commandment in Exodus 21 and verse 17. So that is what God said. The parallel in Mark says Moses said. But obviously Moses, the words that he related from Mount Sinai were viewed as the very words of God. God said, honor your father and mother. But you say, look at the contrast. God says, but you say, whoever, to, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. Now, well let me, in verse 6, he's not to honor his father or mother. Mark 7 uses the word Corban, 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 um, and this particular word, it's, it's actually a Hebrew word which, for example, in Leviticus chapter 2, when the Bible is talking about bringing a gift to the altar, it is this particular Hebrew word. It's interesting that, that Mark includes that in his discussion there in Mark 7 and verse 11. Now, we know some of how this works. We do not know all of how this works because some of these discussions are recorded in the Mishnah, book of Jewish traditions from 200 AD. And what a person could do is they could dedicate their possessions to the temple. And upon their death, everything they had was dedicated to the temple. Sounds noble. Sounds good. And no doubt, in some cases, was. But while they said they would dedicate all to the temple, it freed them of a responsibility that God had given them in Scripture. God said, honor your father and mother. 
Now, anything else that honor includes, and it includes other things, but it includes the responsibility to care for our parents when they cannot care for themselves, just as they cared for us when we couldn't care for ourselves. We care for them when they can't care for themselves. 1 Timothy 5 lays that out very clearly. And it's in that context that 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8 emphasizes that if any does not provide for his own house, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than an infidel. This was a responsibility taken seriously by Jews. This was a responsibility taken seriously by Gentiles. To fail to do this was a great outrage. And Paul says, you have denied the faith and you are worse than an unbeliever by failing to do this. But they can make a vow and they didn't, or let me better say, I don't. And others that I've read have trouble understanding exactly why it was they were free and how it was they were free to use these things to themselves. But they couldn't use them in caring for their parents. Now not all used their vows that way. But some were using their vows to deny a responsibility that God had given And to deny this responsibility in the Old Testament was to suffer capital punishment. Jesus said, that's what God said. But this is what you say. And he said, when you say this and invalidate the word of God. Now that expression in verse 6 is interesting as well. You invalidate the word. To invalidate something, this particular word used three times as well that I found. Once here, once in the parallel in Mark 7, and once in Galatians 3 and verse 17 to talk about nullifying a covenant. He's saying you're doing that to God's commandment. You're doing that to God's word or trying to do it by simply circumventing this whole series of vows that gets around the basic responsibility God's given you. And he says, Jesus says, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Say this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as precepts the commandments of men. They invalidated the word of God while at the same time teaching the precepts of men. Teaching the precepts of men. 
And he says, their heart is far away from me and their worship is vain. Their worship is empty. Their worship is meaningless. There are at least four times in the Gospels that we see Jesus in dispute with the Pharisees. He is in dispute with them about associating with sinners. We'll mention Matthew's account most prominently here. But Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. He had called Matthew to be a disciple and Matthew had left all and followed Jesus. And Jesus goes to Matthew's house where there are other tax collectors and sinners. And they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said that he has come not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Now, Jesus wasn't going to the places the sinners went just to enjoy a good time with them. Jesus was going to the place these sinners went to rescue their souls from sin, to save them from destruction. The Pharisees believed they were lost and were to be avoided. Jesus believed they were lost and were to be saved. But Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice in Hosea 6 6. I want you to see something. In every one of these disputes, Jesus is going to call attention to the fact that the Pharisees are not paying careful enough attention to Scripture. It's not that they were paying too much attention. It's they were paying too little attention to Scripture. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus got into disputes with the Pharisees about the Sabbath. His disciples were plucking heads of grain on the Sabbath. His disciples were plucking the heads of rain. They questioned Jesus because of the behavior of his disciples. And Jesus twice in that context said, Have you not read? Have you not read? Matthew 12 verse 3. Matthew 12 verse 5. Again, have you not paid careful enough attention? this scripture and then he also tells them I desire mercy not sacrifice the same verse that he quoted earlier on another occasion when there was a man there with a withered hand the question is asked is it lawful to save a life on the Sabbath or to destroy Jesus uses an illustration that if a sheep falls into a pit he will rescue it on the Sabbath day how much more better how much better is a man than a sheep it is lawful Jesus says. He's not avoiding the question. He says it is lawful. 
lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. They plot his destruction on the Sabbath. But again, Jesus is saying, have you never read? Go and learn what this means. It is lawful. You haven't paid careful enough attention to Scripture. And that's the case here. As Jesus gets into an argument on oral tradition. Unity will not ultimately be sustained if we are looking to different sources of authority. They were looking to oral tradition. They were saying, you violate the tradition of the elders. Jesus says, God said, do you see how what he is doing through this text is constantly calling attention to God's commandment, what God said, what Isaiah prophesied. And there's another case that we have not explored thoroughly yet, but they will come to Jesus and say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? For any cause. And Jesus once again will point them to Scripture. Have you never read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and plead and be joined to his wife. What God has joined together, man is not. To separate. Are you paying careful enough attention to Scripture? There are so many areas in life where we are presented with conflicting answers. And we have to make a choice as to how we will respond. Many of the things that I was told when I was younger were bad for you to eat have been found not so bad to eat. And there were some things that were viewed it's very healthy Look back in guides if you can find them for eating healthy foods and getting your vitamins and minerals in the second Look how prominently liver was mentioned there. It's disappeared now because it fears about cholesterol. There's all kinds of contradictory evidence. And as I was told by one person who was going through medical school, half of what we're telling you is wrong. That's kind There are all kinds of life, areas of life where we're presented with conflicting information. And personally, I really am not sure how to investigate those. 
بلا متحده This is an area where we are presented with all kinds of conflicting information. But it is too serious to shrug our shoulders and to say, I don't know. Because the most important thing in our existence is to be right with God. And we must spare no expense and restrain no effort in what it takes or to spare no amount of what it takes for us to understand this message and to walk in it and apply it. But in saying that, we are affirming what Jesus is affirming here. That the scriptures are the sole God. The oral traditions of the Jews don't match up. They don't match up. Now, it's not as if Jesus cast aside every Jewish tradition. Jesus attended the synagogue on the Sabbath, according to Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Jesus sang a song at Passover and observed Passover with his disciples. As we mentioned last Sunday night from Matthew 26, verses 26 through 30. Jesus observed Jewish traditions. There are a lot of traditions that make some are founded on good things. Paul talks about one who walks a contrary to the traditions which you receive in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse he uses it in positive And there are some traditions that may not necessarily be scriptural or unscriptural, but they just make sense. Now let me illustrate. And I wouldn't hardly believe this happened, except for the one who told this to me. That a younger preacher got up to fight the tradition that we have to preach from the front of the building, he stood up in the back of the building and prayed. I don't know if there was a chiropractor in the congregation, if he got much work the next day. But there's some things that just kind of make sense, don't they? Just kind of make sense. But I want to tell you, as far as what we're shooting, We're shooting at being a traditional church. We've missed the mark. We're shooting at being an untraditional church. We've missed the mark. Because we're shooting at the wrong target. We're shooting to be a biblical church to be a biblical church to be built on his word to do his will and to tremble before that word I 
saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more could He say than to you He has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled? What more could He say? The Scripture is adequate to be our guide in life. Scripture is adequate. It says enough to guide us from this world, to guide us to heaven. It is His message. It is His word. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There's so much more in this text. I, I barely scratched the surface. But if this increases our loyalty, our love for the Word, as Psalm 19 talks about, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. In Psalm 119, the writer just loved God's law and lusted after every word. If this helps us to learn that point. The Pharisees' problem wasn't they were clinging to the word too tightly. It's they weren't listening nearly enough and building and shaping their lives by it. They weren't distinguishing between their thoughts and their ideas and their words and his. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, you are worthy of worship. You deserve honor and praise and adoration. And we thank you that you have not left us without a guide or compass in our world, but that you have given us your word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. May we do as Isaiah 66 calls us to do, to tremble before it. And Lord, may you not look at me. May you not look at us. And ask, have you never read? For may your word be our heart 
our soul, our life. In Jesus we pray. Amen. A man came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what is written in the law? He always points people back to Scripture. In Acts 2, when people had sinned by crucifying the Messiah, and they cried out, men and brethren, what should we do? The answer was repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing. Do Father God just for today help me to Father in heaven, creator, giver, redeemer, we're thankful that we have been able to be here today in your presence, to be here with our fellow Christian family and friends, to encourage one another, and to learn about you and the way that you are wanting us to live our lives and glorify you. Pray that as we leave here today, we will reflect, that we will give consideration 
to our classes, to the sermon, to the singing, to the Lord's Supper, to the giving, to anything that we did here today, and look for a nugget, a lesson, a principle about you uh, that we can apply in our lives when we leave here today and show to others around us. We're thankful for your plan for us, for your love for us, for the giving of your Son. And it's in his name we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen.
increase a little bit. Taking us with to download at their house. Yeah, All right. That was it. My biggest party is how you get with you. Frightening. Yeah, so listen. Bye bye. Bye, Gabby. Bye, Hank. Oh, you're welcome. Like I said, I am greatly encouraged. She exceeded my expectations.
Abraham and then giving the law and then the Jews rejecting the law and then the Gentiles that opens the law for them and then the Gentiles come in and the Jews get jealous and so the Jews are jealous and the Jews are turning back and coming back and that God caused all those things to work together for good. <laughs> That's the context of that passage. To take it and say that it's something else is not what Paul's saying. Now, you know, there's some truth in that in, in anything.
is that just because that's the problem with whatever views are there? a little busy. Hey, Mitch. Hey, uh, kiddos that we had. Water. 